RadioInfluence.com. Well, hello and welcome to the debut of my podcast here, The Rock Stops Here. No more worrying about all the bosses telling me I can't say this. We can't offend this team. I can say shit if I want to say it and so can my guests. So happy, man, that you have found me and tuned in and once a week religiously the rock stops here will be dropping and i couldn't be happier this is years in the making for years i have been listening to podcasts and you know even though it's my podcast rock rally the rock stops here i'm all about my guests you 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 that are listening uh you that i interview you know, I, I don't need to be the show. I like to bring on people. I listen. I'm inquisitive. I like to pump people up. I do that amongst friends. <laughs> it's just my thing. And I think a podcast is perfect for me. I've never been really the, the X's and O's, the, the analytics and, and just boring. It's boring to me. I like behind the scenes. I like what people are about. You know, and and my main my main goal with this is I know enough people uh, living here and and broadcasting here for over 20, 20 plus years in in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, I'm going to bring on not only it's mostly going to be athletes, former athletes, uh, those that might have been general managers, coaches, but also entertainers. On and off the stage, be it uh, comedians, be it musicians, be it lead singers, be it, uh, and then of course, boxers and MMA and, and, and combat sports and, and running the gamut, basically. Um, how you have made it to the top, how hard is it to stay at the top? What about life? Life in general. We're coming off the Super Bowl. Uh, with Tom Brady, MVP, and you can debate that. Could it have gone to a defensive player in a defense? But he really changed everything, and he changed the culture coming to Tampa Bay. But even Brady, with all of his money and his fame and his good looks, I guarantee you he's got problems. Just it, We're human. We're human beings. And so that's what I want to get out of this podcast. I got a good guest coming up. I just want to fill you in a little bit. I was going to go into the details and where I've been and where I'm. If you're tuning in, you probably already have known me, or, you know. So I don't want to go too much into that right now. But basically, I am a free agent. I am not signed with anybody. And basically, I can say what I want on this podcast, and so can my guests. <laughs> and I got to tell you, it's one of the greatest feelings of all time. But, uh, let me let me just oh oh here here's the guest that I've got today it's you might have known him if you're a wrestling fan in the WWE Evan Bourne he is now in AEW Matt Seidel great guy good dude taught himself backyard backyard wrestling and making it all the way to the top to the show 
and now performing at AEW. He's run the gamut from Ring of Honor. Very interesting what it was like when he went over to Japan. He went back to Japan. He loves Japan. Not only the difference in in how they look at professional wrestling in Japan, but also the culture living there, living in a, in a dojo, not you know knowing uh, Japanese and and to learn. So it should be very very interesting. It's not that long of an interview, and I just want to fill you in on a few things, and then we'll get to that, and then I'll hit you on the back end. But very, very interesting that we are in this time. We've all suffered through this coronavirus. I also had an operation that I didn't even know if I was damn near, I was going to make it. It was a gallbladder attack. Any of you that have had a gallbladder attack and a bad one, to tell you how bad it was, and this is during coronavirus, all right? And I had lost my job. I was doing a show with Martin Gramatica, the former Buccaneer kicker. Martin and I get along great, but it was really a mutual thing. Uh, the boss and I just different, see things differently. That's fine. I was always, you know, don't say this, don't say that. No, you don't have a super, you know, you can't say this. Don't talk about the ball. Your ratings go down, blah, 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 blah. So it was really Martin's show, but I get along with Martin great. And you know what? I move on. He's he's the owner of a station. Whoever signs the checks, they have a right on how they want to see fit with their business. And so the bottom line is I'm a free agent and I had wanted to do a podcast for a long time and it was never the right time. And well, now is the right time. So I was lucky in the, oh, oh, so just real quickly. So, you know, I've always said for years, like health, have you, have you said this too? Health is everything. I've said it, but did I really mean it? And until this last episode, and when you get a little bit older, you know, I didn't know that my gallbladder was filled with stones and rocked. I had no idea. And it hit one night in the middle of a night. And it was so bad that one of the stones blocked my bile duct and my liver did not function. And, you know, we're both, my wife and I, we're both not, you know, the insurance that we have, I didn't know. I was like, you know, let me try to fight this off. Our plan is not that great. Is this going to cost so much? We're going to take money out of savings for this. I can suck this up. For years, I've been used to just sucking it up. You know, if you've played sports, suck it up. And I sucked it up. And basically, when I went to, to take a, a pee, man, it was like brown. And basically, my liver was stopped, could not function. And this went on for about a day, day and a half, or till the next day. I didn't go into the emergency room because I figured, oh, well, you go in the emergency room, and then you're there. And if you stay there a long time, and how much is this bill going to be racked up? And are we taking out of savings? I don't have the income coming. You know, that type of thing. You know what I mean? Life. So I sucked it up. Probably shouldn't have done that. Finally went to my doctor, went for testing. And when they called, they were like, oh, my God, let's get you in. You know, you, you may have hepatitis. You may have this. You may have that, you know, and how bad it could be. So to make a long story short, I had the operation. And the surgeon, a female surgeon, she did a great job. She said in 25 years of doing surgery for gallbladder, she had never seen numbers as funky 
as mine. I mean, it was serious. Now, when coronavirus started, Rona, I don't know about you, your neighborhood, you see people walking. Remember how we were back in like last March? Didn't know, thought it was going to be a short thing and like, oh, you know, we, you know, we you don't want to go anywhere at all. And so I, we started walking, my wife, my daughter and I, we were doing these bridge walks over the bridge, this bridge over Clearwater Beach gave us all three something to do together. And I ended up losing 12 pounds just because I was doing more walking and outside. I've always gone to the gym and Planet Fitness, but I really don't do any cardio. And I was, you know what I mean? You know how it goes, right? So I had already lost 12. Bottom line, after this, it was all said and done. I've lost 28 pounds and... I put back maybe a few and I feel better than I ever have, but it was rough. There was a complication after the surgery. I ended up having to have a catheter at home for a week. I mean, it was brutal. It was brutal. And I really realized, and it, and I'm laying there in a hospital bed and I'm thinking, you know, coronavirus, it's changed the way it's going to be with the industry. I'm getting older. Uh, I got to good take, you know, you got to take, I got to take better care. I got to take better care of myself and, uh, just a new attitude, you know, liking, you know, going for every single day, man, I appreciate, you know, a little bit more. And my point is we got to try with this crazy Rona and how it's changed things. And it may never, ever go back to the way it used to be totally, but I digress so sports wise, and especially here in the Tampa Bay area, the Lightning win the Stanley Cup, but fans couldn't go. You know, they were in the bubble in Canada. The Rays go to the World Series and the playoffs and World Series were not here in the Tampa Bay area. So fans, unless you had so much money, you could fly out and spend a ton. So really couldn't see it. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning at home with Tom Brady in one year. And I got to say, um, Brady, there were little things like that I heard from people that were around Brady to his workouts at this high school when he started. He still had the arm strength. He was driven, driven. Uh, one of the photographers, or the photographer for the Tampa Bay Times, do you remember when the Buccaneers signed him? He went to the, the park in Tampa and he got arrested. No, he didn't get arrested. He got thrown out. He went to the wrong house next door to Byron Leftwich and all that jazz, and he was making news. And then he did the, the workouts at a high school, a private high school called Berkeley Prep. I know the photographer that shot those shots. And I had a beer with him and he told me how it all went down. Let me just, a little, you know, a little bit of, of, of that story is he would walk off exact steps for routes for a Mike Evans at Godwin. Evans has had success. I want you exactly right here. You do it like this. You know, and, and you could see that this guy, it isn't like a, a Joe Namath with the knees that were shot going to L.A. It wasn't like, um, you know, Joe Montana did take them to the playoffs of the Kansas City Chiefs, but it wasn't like Michael Jordan with the Wizards. No, 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 no. The way he takes care of his body and all that jazz. And so it didn't surprise me that Brady was going to have the success. 
But to actually get it done and to win the Super Bowl in your home stadium on a franchise that sucked, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have sucked for a long time. And in one year, and yeah, the defense, everybody got better because you were around the GOAT. And then the Super Bowl parade. How many Super Bowl parades or Stanley Cup parades or World Series parades or NBA championship parades we've seen? And they're on the big floats and maybe they'll throw a beer up to them. And, and you know, you see the parade. You see uh, hundreds and thousands of fans and ticker tape parades. But this one with Brady throwing the Lombardi trophy and, uh, you know, walking out under it, you know, buzzed. And he's actually human. And it's made Brady even higher higher in, st- in stature. Like, he'll never be able to duplicate. I think, actually, if he really was to take some time, and I know he's still driven and he's coming back and it's great for fans that live in the Tampa Bay or wherever you live, you're a Buccaneer fan. Yeah, that's great. But. You'll never get as high as this as far as in regards to maybe fans that didn't like you. And now they see, oh, he can get bust. Oh, he is human. Oh, he did. Look at this. He did throw the Lombardi trophy. And I know, you know, and I've heard the rumor. There's so many rumors out there. And I got hit with a lot of people. He doesn't drink. He doesn't drink. Well, let me tell you something. He won a Super Bowl. Brandon Marshall. I don't think he's in the league anymore. Brandon Marshall. I thought he had one of the best tweets. He said, you all are on Brady. You're all on Brady for for getting drunk. The man won a Super Bowl. He won a Super Bowl, and it was a celebration and a parade. You all get drunk on a Friday night, and you don't have anything going on in your life. I thought that was great. I've heard a lot of rumors. Oh, it was inedible. He took uh, too much and milligrams. Who knows? But he is human, and I don't. You know, I know he's driven. And you'll probably find nothing that'll ever, you know, give him that competitive fire as much as being on a football field in the NFL and being a QB in the NFL. But you want it with a different team. You want it without the Patriots and Belichick the Patriot way. You want it with a Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that only won seven games the year before. You want it in a home stadium, Raymond James Stadium. You have a boat parade. You throw the Lombardi Trophy. You show that you can get buzzed. You're just like a, a, a everyday Joe. You are on top. You are on top. I walk away right now. But he is coming back, and it was an interesting story. And you know what? I do want to get to this interview with Matt Sadell. So... Uh, I have more stories. I was over at the convention center all week during Super Bowl week, and it was really, really eerie. Uh, there were no, there were no media. Nobody, people still aren't flying. They weren't coming down. Everything was on a Zoom. But why don't I get to this interview now? I, I thank you all. Tell your friends. I got to build this thing. I know how it goes with podcasts. You don't start off gangbusters, man. Unless you're in name. Joe Rogan. Everybody wants to be Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan didn't start out uh, with a hundred million dollar deal. You know what I'm saying? So I'll try spreading the word. You spread the word. Every week it will drop. The rock stops here. Now, we're going to pick this interview up. Uh, I had an operator error. I'm telling you, even though I broadcast a long time. I was interviewing Matt Seidel at his dojo. He, he trains... Uh, guys that want to get into pro wrestling. And he and his brother, a great, great, great guy. Great, great guy. So I sat down with him at his dojo 
at his little training facility there in Florida. And for the first five, six minutes, I, 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 I forgot to hit the record button. I didn't tell that to Matt. Matt, okay, you know, you, 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 you can power drop me. You can do a splash. You can, you know, I'll take a bump for you. <laughs> Only one. Uh, but let's pick this one up. This is Matt Seidel, AEW. He was Evan Bourne in WWE. And it's just on the physicality of pro wrestling what these guys do they make it look easy when you see it on tv do not try some of this stuff at home without further ado my man matt sadell you have to put your life in their hands most of this is like so much of what i do when i wrestle on on tv or when i wrestle in front of a live crowd is essentially it's death defined like there's no mitt like if you slip that severe injury there's like uh you cannot like risk taking you like you can't have a miscue or somebody can be really hurt really hurt so you have to meet somebody and trust trust your life in their hands you just put it right there and you have to hope that like the brotherhood has weeded out the people who are not trustworthy and that's why like we really rely on like the people who've been in wrestling. The, the longer you've been in it, the more reputation you have, and like the more tr- trust you've earned. So people are the matches that these guys have. They seem even more dangerous, but really, when the guys trust each other, they know when you're getting dropped on your head, you're getting dropped on your head the way you intended. Right, right. You had a very scary. I mean, I I I only saw the video once. Uh, the the shooting star. And it looked like I was like, oh my god. And luckily. You were okay, man. Yeah, yeah, I had a real bad slip. Um, it, it was it was really frightening. I mean, it kind of made me gun shy for a while because sure. sometimes I don't realize how dangerous it is till you see it. You know, because I'm just out there, my eyeballs are looking not the way everybody else sees it. So I don't, you know, when you see it happen when I slipped off the rope and, and almost crashed. I mean, I, I can kind of laugh about it now, but there was definitely a moment where that was gonna be the end but for instead it just sort of became a new turning point for me a, a place to work from and i figure well can't go anywhere but up from there so unfortunately <laughs> you got a great attitude and thank god the man upstairs was looking out for you yeah what did you learn i mean i don't want to go through your whole history you were a high school wrestler you were so young you got your license you were in the pros you know from there you've wrestled pretty much everywhere from ring of honor you've been a champion new japan dragon gate what what did it do for you going over to Japan, not only being in the wrestling ring, but also the culture, the life? Can you, did that take a big, big step for you in life? Yeah, for me, that was like the most significant moment of my life when I started to wrestle for Dragon Gate in Japan. I was like, I, I don't want to say, I, I didn't expect much of my career in wrestling. I figured I would just be somebody who works a job and does it on the weekends. And I just, I mean, I, I didn't think I was, I thought I was good, but I didn't think I was like this world-class because I didn't train at a famous wrestling school. I didn't have anyone famous teach me. I started out in my backyard and I trained with some hillbillies in Missouri who didn't really know that much other than the basics. And I just kept going and trying to get my name out there and wrestle people better than me. And so, I mean, basically I got put together in a match with these Japanese wrestlers and they sent me a a couple weeks later they sent me a MySpace message and to see if I would come over to Japan and wrestle for $80 a match and live at their dojo and um, that's where my career hit liftoff and these guys it, it was an organization that I admired and like was like I 
fantasized about going there, but they never brought any Americans. And it turned out they brought over two two guys that I work with and then me as the third guy. It, we were the first ones to go over there. And Japan absolutely blew my mind. It's like my favorite place in the world. You were a champion over there, right, too? And it, isn't it very rare that someone from not from Japan? Yeah, I was like... In my organization, I was the first ever um, open the Brave Gate champion and uh, first ever American one. I was like the fourth or the fifth ever champion, I think. But it was a real, you know, it was a belt that meant a lot to me. It was like a championship I really aspired to get. It was like, you know, it was the light heavyweight championship of this organization. And the guys I was wrestling, I just not only did I admire, they like influenced my whole career and like. They just have a way, when I break it all down, it's like the Japanese don't, like sometimes we tend to think like you want to do things the most efficient way. You want to do it as quick as possible for the least amount of time or cost. And and I think their philosophy is more like you want to do it the right way for the right reasons. So even if you're just writing somebody a letter, you like, you put a little more like calligraphy to it and they make sure there's draw like there's, there's not doing things because you got to do it as fast as you can. They want to just do it one time right. And so I just think it's, uh, you know, and they just really have um, a community um, mentality. Uh-huh. And I really think that's something I'd, I admire too. I stayed in a town called Kobe, but I was spent a lot of time in Osaka and Tokyo too. And I just, I felt everywhere people were looking out for each other. And I felt it was like um, they were all like in it together. And it was like a really cool um, feeling because, yeah. you know, you felt like more more harmonious public. Like it, it felt like everybody was courteous of their neighbor. Like right. that's why everybody only goes up on one side of that escalator. Like everybody stands on the right side of the escalator. That way if someone needs to run, they can run. So no matter how busy it is, everybody stands on one side and they leave a little slot for somebody who's in a big hurry because in Japan you go you do not want to be late that's one habit I have and boy that's a regret boy I would have been just a little bit more on time every time in Japan I'm just that that part of me is just it's just who I am <laughs> but uh, that is not Japanese style unbelievable I was lucky enough to go to Tokyo when the Yankees and the devil it was amazing it, it was unbelievable now everybody did knows, you watch at the Tokyo Dome yes yeah I've wrestled there it reminded me of Tropicana Field uh, here in St. Petersburg, Florida. It was, yeah. You wrestled there? Yeah, yeah. And the way that... Isn't it more like almost fighting the way they look at it, pro wrestling, compared to the show and the mic and the skill? Is that true? Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, American wrestling is very much presented as a straight-up TV show. Right. Japanese wrestling is presented as like a combat sport that then gets like covered by or sports organizations. So like in American wrestling, the camera crew works with the the company to make sure they get the shots and all this stuff in Japan. The camera crew is separate from the company. They cover it like it's baseball. The camera crew, they don't know anything. They just cover it as if it's a live sport happening. You know, the backstage is still the same. It's, you know, it's, it's not a competitive sport. It's just, you know, entertainment, but it's just a different level of physicality. And they tell a different story for a different culture. Every culture has resonates with different stories. Americans love an underdog story. The Japanese love it when two people just go toe-to-toe to see who's, who's got the willpower to not quit. You know, and, that, and so it's like a testament of wills. It's like... Um, to see who will like even you're not trying to like you wouldn't take a, a dirty tactic or a cheap shot you they just want to see guys stand and trade till till there's a better man to like it's it, you know it, it, I, I always recommend people to check out Japanese wrestling um 
it's so it's so easy to find it on YouTube. So if you're like an old, a fan of old wrestling or whatever, you want to get back into it, you can start watching a little Japanese wrestling and get back into it. That's kind of what we model our training here after that Japanese style, and it's really easy to make it into TV American wrestling. But you, it's it's having a good foundation with a basically a catch wrestling base, and then you build up from there, and then you start you know by the end you know people here start with catch wrestling ground grappling and then we end up jumping off the top rope doing cross bodies and we've got a crash pad so like we do it all and so that's i think japanese wrestling is a lot like that yeah so before i forget uh, your wrestling school is here in pinellas park florida mm-hmm. um and do any but do they travel around young guys to try to, to come here or yeah every i mean every, almost all of my students have moved here from out of town we've got people from virginia louisiana colorado i mean um a guy from wales and we have people from all over um we don't just teach like local wrestling. I try and teach like at the world class level. I try. I've got a few of my guys matches at AEW. I expect more will have that same opportunity. And we're just you know we're we're just do our thing here. Um, it's basically my philosophy on wrestling. I've been wrestling for over twenty years, um, and I grew up in a different era. And I'm trying to just pass along what worked for me and try and like help these guys because hopefully soon we'll be out in front of crowds again. And everybody wants their. $15 worth on that ticket and we want to give it to them and like that's sort of like the challenge is how do we do this in today's against today's audience against a crowd that can look up their phone and be on YouTube in one second and you know it's um, that theater and sport uh, all combined and um, you know I think you know I, I expect really big things from my students and um, yeah I mean I can't, I can't wait to get to, to class beautiful beautiful just a couple more okay Sorry. so when you were at WWE and I know and it's funny people will say oh you just made it to WWE no Ohio Valley uh, Florida Championship Wrestling in that little place in Tampa and then blah 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 you make it was there a how much how much different was it? Is it is it just such a machine? Is it so big? Vince McMahon in Gorilla. I mean, did you notice it, or is it still wrestling, Matt? I mean, it's very much the same because you just go out there and it's a ring. I mean, the, this ring was a little bit bigger. The ropes were a little different, but I mean, I really felt the same. Like I didn't really have the any more nerve nerves going on. Like I just my pressure is always like on my performance, not necessarily about like who's watching. And in Japan, I just had lucky to get so many matches. I was doing four or five matches a night, and then we would end these tours with big shows at Cork and Hall, which is right next to the Tokyo Dome, and that would be like sold out a couple thousand people's, maybe twenty five hundred max. But it, it, it was it felt like a big fight feel. And so when you go out on Monday Night Raw, it felt like that. You know, in fact, it was scarier there uh, because I didn't have like I couldn't even speak the language. I mean, my Japanese was not good, at least in the U.S. I mean, um, so it really prepared me for that. And I was just working with high level people who kind of passed down a, a style of wrestling that I was able to make my own. And it gave me a unique niche in WWE. And I kind of broke open this whole style of wrestling that now is really popular and everybody's doing and you know it's really awesome to see wrestling's thriving right now i want people to get the message and we know like life throws you curveballs man nobody i don't care you even look at tom brady you're like oh there mustn't be anything wrong i'm telling you you know you know when you did get released from wwe wasn't there a period i know you went over to peru for 
I, I try to get the pronunciation for when you did that ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Did I get yeah, it right? Did yeah. I get it right? But was that what was that period like when you had made it to the so-called top yeah. WWE? Now you're not in it, and what you did to get back and maybe even come back stronger in life? Yeah, I mean that was sort of this moment where I realized like what I was the dream I was living was everybody else's and not mine. Like, and so I was able to kind of return to like who I, I went and just had the time to reflect, like stop and reflect. Cause when I'm traveling on the road with WWE, it was even like, it, it was, there was no moment to gather your thoughts or relax or settle down. So just like, it took a while for things to slow down. And then once I was able to sit back and kind of reflect on my life and like slow and, and rewind from that time, I, I was able to find that like spark of why I started wrestling in the first place and like what I enjoyed about it and it wasn't had nothing to do with being in WWE or being on TV or famous or any of that in fact that it just created a lot more problems and um, so kind of I felt I felt good but I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life and then I went and wrestled in Los Angeles for a company called Pro Wrestling Gorilla which is sort of the precursor company to AEW and I went there in this building in Reseda and um, I had a good match with my friend who I'm really lucky he, he kind of helped me through that match and I had a great one but then I watched a match it was a 10 man match 5 versus 5 when that match was over I was like this is the magic of wrestling that I've been missing and this is what I want to be a part of. And then so I just sort of stayed on that circuit, the independent circuit that did PWG, Ring of Honor. And then I started wrestling back in Japan with New Japan. And then me and Ricochet, who's a WWE champion right now, he we, we were junior heavyweight tag team champions together in New Japan for a while. Uh, so, I mean, like, I, I mean, I really just was doing the part of wrestling that I love. And by not being in the, like... I just had to realize I can't live everybody else's dream for them. And do, like, I've never been the person who liked what everybody else liked or wanted what everybody else wanted. I'm not, I mean, I'm very out of the ordinary or at least the typical formula that the media makes people think that they need this or that. Like, that's just not me. I'm kind of been into civil disobedience from a young age. <laughs> and uh, so I just kind of always feel like I think I feel like the opposite. And um you know, I just feel like finally, like, so my career kind of went the opposite way. Some people work really hard and get to WWE at the end. I shot through, got there, and then now my back end where I'm doing my best work is has been after that. So it wasn't like, it's just like every mountain just has another side to it. So you climb up it, there's just a downside, and then hopefully there's another mountain to climb. And then I'm sure I'll go back down, but it's just, my thing is I just keep getting back up. And hopefully I can run it out for another five, ten years. And rock and roll maybe even longer you never know but i just really enjoy being a part of wrestling and helping young wrestlers so i'll be around and uh if i pre- appreciate you doing the interview last one, yeah. last one. Mm-hmm. so tell us about aew is it as much fun what makes everybody everybody that i hear they <laughs> love it is it because of the background the cons what is it what is it about aew do they allow you to be uh, more yourself matt yeah i mean AEW is just essentially, like I was talking about earlier, that company called Pro Wrestling Gorilla, which what it did is it just allowed the wrestlers to just be themselves. And there was less, um, there's like to break it down simply, WWE has a lot of writers, head writers, co-writers. AEW doesn't really have that. It's just a, a few names on a piece of paper. And then the guys fill in the blanks. And we, we everybody puts their heads together, so it's a collaborative process. And sometimes these guys will be spitballing ideas. We'll start in left field and we'll end up in right. I mean, you and, – and, but it's just – it's what we feel like kind of what's going to entertain us, our friends, and then and the audience in mind. It's not um, 
it's not so rigid like th- these are the words we need it's just like we and we know what we're trying to get across because we've been doing this for a while and we know what we want the crowd to grab onto and like I, it, it's all like tribute to the these this tag team called the young bucks and um you always said that you think they're the best yeah i, I really do i think i think they're the best and they started this youtube show called being the elite where they shared kind of what i'm sharing with you like what it's like to fly to tokyo and like how tired you are and then you go eat at the sponsor dinner and here's this guy named masa who always takes us out and like they what they did is they just opened up and they shared their life and so people loved it so much it became this company called all elite wrestling and tone a a really intelligent investor named tony khan jumped on board with cody rhodes and a couple other guys like the biggest acts in wrestling and um it's just getting going and i think um it's it's essentially taking over the wrestling world awesome well listen you're the best tell us your school once again okay yeah the side dojo sidedojo.com you can just send us an email if you're interested come on down and uh, learn to wrestle Matt you're a good man thank you man thank you appreciate it you know what I took from that and that, that this, what he just said in that interview about okay he was at the top if you're just looking at pro wrestling from afar, he was at the WWE, the monstrosity that it is under Vince McMahon. But you know what? He did what is best for him. He's happier now in AEW. He's happier teaching wrestling to some younger guys that want to get in this business. He's got his own thing going on. Don't do what you perceive in the media telling you how you should live. I think that's good for anybody. Now, sometimes, sometimes you're at a, you know, most of the time you're out of your job and you got a boss and you really don't want to do what he or she is telling you to do and you don't agree and you got to have that paycheck and you got to support your family. So that I get But overall, I think all of us, myself included, we get too caught up in media and we're bombarded anymore. Look, when you and I were growing up, we had what? CBS, NBC, ABC. Maybe you had a Fox. You had the 6 and 11 o'clock news. You weren't even really listening, right? There was no talk radio. And I mean, that was it. Now, you look at your phone, your timeline, your Facebook, your Instagram, your everything. Everybody is telling you everything or what you see and what you should do. We got to just do what we believe. I've always believed. Go with your gut. Go with your gut, man. I tell this to my wife. She's like, that doesn't work for me. If you got a big decision to make, Wait until morning. Wait until you sleep on it, you know? And then if, if you're feeling a certain way strong, go with your gut. You know, for this podcast, for, for months when I knew I was going to do it, I was winning. Winning with Rock Riley. Well, same concept. Interview stars that have made it to the top in entertainment, athlete, you know, athletes, things like that. You know how they made it, blah, blah, blah. but I was just like, there's nothing catchy about winning, winning, winning. And I thought one day I had a couple of cold ones, and I'm up late at night, and I'm sitting out back, and every time I think when I when I pound some beers and I have these ideas, when I wake up the next day. It never is as good as what I thought it was. <laughs> Have you ever experienced that? <laughs> you think, oh, my wife bust my chops on this so bad. Come up with all these ideas. The beer's talking. But 
And one night I was thinking, I'm like, all right, well, if I do winning with Rock Riley, then, oh my God, the bucket list would be like Charlie Sheen. Remember when he did winning? Maybe Charlie Sheen would hear about and Charlie Sheen would come on the show. Oh, oh, oh. But as the days were going on, I'm like winning, winning with Rock Riley. And I just woke up one morning and I was like, the rock stops here. The rock stops here. And I was like, bam. I contact my man, Jerry P. Tuck from RadioInfluence.com. Jerry, I looked on the internet. You're better You're better searching. Make sure no one has the rock stops here. Hits me back. Nobody's got it. Boom. But my point is, in life, we got to stop listening to what everybody is saying that thinks we should be a certain way, you know? And Matt lives that he it's always lived that and that's what i took away from that and isn't it funny you just step back and like oh you're at wwe man that's the top yeah but you was he really happy no and how about what he said there with wwe they have script writers they have so many writers everything is in a teleprompter everything is scripted and in aew they don't they just wing it they might have a couple of points going in, and these guys are, you know, they're they're uh, they're experienced. They've been doing it so long, and he's happy. I noticed it when WWE had a press conference in Tampa about over a year ago because before COVID, remember, and WrestleMania is coming back, but uh, WrestleMania was going to be at Raymond James Stadium. So I went to the press conference, and Hulk Hogan, who lives here in Tampa Bay, uh, because they were having, it was a, you know, a Tampa Bay-centric press conference, even though it was carried worldwide on WWE Network, uh, they had him up there in the beginning. And I saw uh, he was going through things before the press conference started. And this is Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan has been in the business how long? The guy can cut a promo. He's been in movies and, and entertainment. He's done it all. He's the man. He is the man. Love the Hulkster. And I'm I'm watching. And then it starts. The press conference starts. And he's talking, but he's not. It's not as much ad-libbing. So I turn around and behind us that are in the audience for this WWE press conference is a huge monitor. And it was all scripted out. He was reading from the teleprompter. He was trying to ad-lib maybe one line or, or, or inflection in his voice. And you could just tell. I was like, this isn't him, brother. And I'm like, wow, if even this with Hulk Hogan starting a press conference is scripted, that means everything is scripted. But it was very, very interesting. So I appreciate that uh, Matt doing that with me. And I wish him all the success in the world. He's just hes just a good dude. Good dude. And I'll end it with this. In my 25, 30 years of being in this business and getting to interview a lot of highly successful people at the top, what I have found, I will leave you with this. From Michael Jordan to... I can go down the list, Okay. Those that are at the top and have been at the top a long time, they're not assholes. They're not jerk-offs. There are some jerk-offs that can make it to the top, but to make it to the top and stay at the top, you got to be a good person, and that's what I've found. And so episode one is in the books. 
The rock stops here. I'll talk to you in a week. I love the hell out of this. And let's see who we have next week. Have a great one, guys. This is a Sitting Ringside with David Penzer Quick Fix on Radio Influence. This week on Sitting Ringside, ladies and gentlemen, the wild ride as told by George Frankenstein, a.k.a. Gorgeous George. The way that I met Randy is just so crazy. The night that the night this happened, I had no money, and it was my first day dancing at this place. And it was a topless place, and I had never been topless. They tell me you have to wear a sequin gown for a thing they call uptime. So I got this stupid dress on. So I'm sitting at the bar, and there's a dude sitting next to me. I didn't even notice who he was. I wasn't even looking at him. There's, there's Randy on one side. I didn't know who he, I didn't even look at him. And then there was this old dude on my other side. And then I'm next to this old guy was the ZZ Top people and the Almond Brothers. Like this whole bar was just full of famous people. I wasn't even paying attention. I didn't even give a shit what was going on. So anyways, this guy starts, he goes, buy me a drink. And he takes his elbow and hits me as hard as he can in my arm. I didn't know he was Evil Knievel. And when he did this, I said, you buy me a drink. Like, I was so mad. Like, he hurt me. As soon as I did that, this guy starts this huge fight with me. And so there was a, um, like, two bodyguards and, like, yellow shirts, state security on it. They grabbed me, pick me up, and throw me outside, like, on my knees, like, where I'm all scruffed up and everything. I'm, like, pouring and crying. I've got black, like, mascara all the way down my face. And this big guy comes out. He's, hey, girl, are you okay? And it's him. And I'm like, just get away from me. Just get away from me. Because I'm thinking, here comes some pervert coming out here to mess with me after I, this just happened to me. And I'm like, what do you want? And he's like, hey, hey, just chill out. I'm just trying to help you. I'm like, I don't want your help. Get away from me. And he's like, he goes, you know what you just did, right? And I'm like, no, I don't know. That guy's a weirdo. And he just hit me in my arm. They go, you know why they threw you out? And I said, no. He's like, that was Evil Knievel. And he's here all the time. He's regular. I said, how would I know? who Evil Knievel would look like if he's not wearing that little white jumpsuit. (laughs) (laughs) Sitting Ringside with David Penzer can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.